0: Thy will be done, Jesus has taught us to pray, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is the place where things happen first, it's been said. Heaven is the pattern and earth is to be the copy. This is how God has created the world. Just think of how God could have done things, right? God could have made everything in its finished form all at once. He could have simply said, let there be everything And there would have been everything. Or God could have made things drag out over millions and billions and trillions of years and eons through some impersonal... He could have done that, but he didn't. In the beginning, God created the heavens, fully finished, completely complete. And he made the earth. But the earth was not like the heavens, was it? The earth was formless, the earth was void, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And over the course of those six days, which Genesis 1 recounts for us, you can read how God formed and filled and brought light where there was none before. But my point with you this morning is just to think of how God, on the second day, made the sky to be a copy of his heavens. It's very interesting when you read Genesis 2, um, God calls the sky heaven. And of course, God is not you know, lacking in creativity like you or I. He didn't need to consult the thesaurus and come up with a different word, but he purposely calls the sky heaven to connect it in your mind with his dwelling place, his council room, we might say, his, his uh, throne room. When we look up at the sky, we see heavens don't we we even talk that way but of course we make a distinction God dwells in inapproachable light God dwells in the capital H heavens and when we look up at the sky we see the little h heaven and it brings us great joy doesn't it what do we see when we look up in the sky we see a copy of heavenly things We see the sun rising like our Lord Jesus, who is called the Son of Righteousness. We see the big clouds billowing in the sky, and we see a glimpse, a reflection, of the bright cloud of the Holy Spirit who dwells in heaven. We see the birds flying across the face of the heavens, and we think, man, that must be how the angels move. Always in a host, always in a flock, always swirling this way and that. We see copies of the heavens, in the sky. But God didn't just make that to be kind of a reminder for you. He made that so that you would get the point that what is in heaven is to come down to earth. And if we didn't get the point in Genesis 1, well, Jesus taught us to pray. And so we have it on good authority, the best authority, that we want heaven to come down to earth, right? Heaven is not simply, maybe put it this way, heaven is not simply the goal, we wanna get out of here and get there one day, but we want heaven to come down on earth. This is how God was always teaching his people, whether it was by providing a copy of the heavens in the sky above us or, or by showing his servants, Moses and David, copies of the heavenly places so that they could then construct on earth these little copies. When God wanted Moses to build the tabernacle, he didn't just say, hey, here's exactly how to do it. He showed Moses. It says that he showed Moses on Mount Sinai a pattern And the same thing happens again when David is making preparations for the temple. Of course, his son Solomon was the builder. But when David was making preparations for the temple, it says again that the Lord showed him a heavenly pattern, a heavenly blueprint. And then the tabernacle and the temple after it were these little glimpses of heaven come down to earth. God was showing his people that heaven is not just the goal. I can't wait to get out of here and get up there but that it is the will of God that as things are in heaven, so they should be on earth. And if we didn't get the point, well, Jesus puts it to us quite clearly, doesn't he? When you pray, pray this way, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we find today is that there is war in heaven. So when you pray, dear Heavenly Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're not excluding the prayer, Lord, bring that heavenly war to earth. Now, usually we don't think that way, do we? Heaven is a beautiful place full of glory and grace. I want to go there. Heaven is a wonderful, it's not a place of warfare, is it? And yet scripture says, quite clearly, there was war in heaven. There was a throwdown. There was a royal rumble, you might say. There was a battle there in heaven. And we want that heavenly warfare to not just remain up in the skies, but we want that same warfare to take place here on earth. So we have days like this, days that remind us that there is a war going on, that there is a pattern to follow in that war, and that there is a victory prepared for those who follow Christ. St. Michael and all the holy angels are a model for you today. They are your pattern, if you will, of how to carry out this warfare. Now, again, we just need to impress this in our minds because usually we don't think of heaven as a battleground. We usually think of heaven as just the opposite, don't we? Heaven is a place of peace. Heaven is a place of rest. Heaven is a place of bliss and of calm and of all the things that are unrelated to war. But St. John saw that there was war in heaven. Now, there is not still war going on. That war has ceased. That war has been won. The devil has been thrown down. It is finished. But remember, heaven is the place where things happen first. And so when we learn about this warfare in heaven, we are not just pondering things that happen in some far-off, sort of weird, ethereal place. We are seeing what God intends to bring to earth as well. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, we're told. And when we look back into the Old Testament, we find that there are a couple of examples of these times where God's prophets saw this kind of warfare taking place in heaven. Maybe you remember how the story of Job starts. Maybe you don't. Let me remind you. God was in heaven, and his angels were there with him, and Satan came, because after all, Satan was a created angel before he fell. And so he seemed to still have this heavenly access, and the Lord looked at him and said, what have you been up to? This is how it goes. I'm being serious. This is how it goes in Job. What have you been up to? And he says, I've been wandering to and fro on the earth seeking someone. He's been wandering about looking for someone to devour, we might say. And then God said to Satan, how about Job? (laughs) Have you considered my servant Job? And the devil brought an accusation against Job that day. He said, you know why Job loves you? He just loves you because you give him stuff. You know, he's like a spoiled brat. In fact, that's how they all are, God. All of these humans that you made, all of these men and women and children, the only reason they love you is because you give them good things. And so the Lord in his wisdom said, oh really? Let's find out. Take away his stuff, Satan. Take away all that stuff and let's see if Job's love disappears. And you probably know the rest of the story of Job. But that's not the only time that we see Satan in heaven bringing accusations. There is another vision in the prophet Zechariah. I'm going to go way out on a limb and guess that we know even less about Zechariah than we do about Job. But here's the situation. The people of God have come back from exile and they have no temple. They have no temple and they have a uh, unclean high priest. Now that's a problem because the only way you can cleanse the high priest is if you have a temple. And the only way you can have a temple is if you have a clean high priest. We call this a catch-22, right? And so Zechariah saw this vision of Satan standing before the Lord and saying, look at how unclean your people are. And we're told that there was also there an angel of the Lord. Jude calls him Michael. That there was this angel of the Lord who rebuked the accusation of the devil. The Lord rebuke you, he said. He didn't do anything about it. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. And there you have, in a nutshell, a picture of this heavenly warfare. The devil bringing his accusations against God's people, and the angels standing in our defense. Satan the accuser, we might say, and St. Michael and all the holy angels as your defense counsel. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? After all, if you have good legal counsel, that's comforting, If you're in some kind of a legal proceedings and your lawyer is, you know, got his, um, well, we won't say where he got his credentials, but if it's not all that good, you don't have much confidence, do you? But if he went to the most prestigious law school, if he graduated with honors, then you might just say, hey, we're going to be okay. Such are the angels for you. You have these legal advocates in heaven, and they are experts in their field, but even the best of legal defenders can't change the evidence, can they? Even the best of legal defenders can't get you off the hook if you are indeed guilty. And that's our catch-22, isn't it? It's not just that we have an unclean high priest and we have no temple. It's that the accusations that the devil brings against us are actually matter of factually, are actually, you know, testimonially, evidentially true. We can't plead ignorance. Well, I didn't know God's law. We can't plead, well, I was just doing my best. Such kinds of defense don't hold up in God's courtroom. Even the best attorneys can't make the guilty innocent. But there is one who can. There is one who is even better than having the best kind of defense attorneys. And it is his authority that rules in heaven and that we are pursuing here on earth. How is it that the St. Michael and his angels threw the devil out of heaven? How did this legal battle get overturned if all the evidence was in the devil's favor? Well, the answer to that is that there is one who has come to shed his blood in place of the guilty. The innocent one has appeared. Christ, our Lord, has come and he has offered in your place, in place of your sins, he has put himself He has shed his blood as the payment for your sins. And so for all of those accusations that the devil wants to bring against you, there is now an answer. It's not some kind of loophole. It's not some kind of, wow, I never thought I'd see that coming. It is the answer of the blood of Christ. And because the blood of Christ has been shed, because he has come and died in your place, and he is risen on high into the heavenly places, so now the devil no longer or I'm sorry so now Michael no longer has to be your legal counsel. He can take over a be- better role, the bailiff. And what he does as the heavenly bailiff is he throws the devil out. He bars the door. He says you can't get back in here with those accusations because there is an answer. There is now an answer in the blood of Jesus for every accusation of Satan. That's the war in heaven. That war has been finished. It has been won. The day that Christ rose and ascended into heaven, the court was over. But you heard it, didn't you? Woe to you who dwell on the earth. St. Michael may have taken out the heavenly garbage, but he threw him down here on earth. And we pray, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, And so we pray that this same throwdown would take place on earth. You are part of this battle, whether you want to be or not, because the enemy doesn't ask, hey, would you like to fight? He doesn't schedule a day on the battlefield. He just shows up and he comes after you. And so while we can draw inspiration from St. Michael and the angels, we might, we might, we just might have wished that they would have thrown him all the way down. (laughs) But see, Michael wants you to take your part in the war, too. And not only does Michael want you to take your place in the warfare, but Michael's master, Michael's commander, the Lord Jesus, insists, he insists that every one of his Christians take up their place in the fight as well. So you need to see, you need to see what kind of a battle it is that you are engaged in. And I want to point out to you this morning, these we're going to call them the four fronts or the four campaigns of the devil. You heard four titles for Satan, and it's good for us to dwell just a minute on each of these. The first one is he is called the dragon. The second, he is called the serpent. The third, he is called the devil. And the fourth, he is called the accuser. So take those in order and just be aware of how it is that Satan is going to come against you. He will come as a dragon, first of all. Now, the dragon's attack is to devour. This draws us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember what the Lord said? Cursed shall you be above all the livestock of the field. On your belly you shall go. Dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, strife, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. It is there, in the battle for our children, that we see the dragons attack. Satan hates children. He hates them because they remind him of the Christ child, who came and was born of the virgin. Every child born into this world reminds him of that victorious child, Jesus Christ. And so Satan does everything he can, as the dragon, to devour our children. Now that doesn't mean he opens his jaws and slams them shut, but it takes place in more subtle ways. There are all kinds of lies, there are all kinds of teachings in this world that try to draw our children away from the Lord Jesus. If you don't believe me, well just look what's taught to our children. If you think that I'm making this up or I'm getting carried away, you have only to look around and see what is taught to the children of this world by those who have power, by those who have authority, by those who are put in positions of teaching, of leading children. Truly the devil as the dragon prowls about. But that's not the only way that he attacks us. That's not the only front of the battle. He also comes as the serpent. And of course, these things are very similar. What's the difference between a dragon and a serpent? But just remember how the serpent came in the garden. The serpent didn't come to Adam, did he? The serpent probably knew that Adam will crush my head. He came to Adam's bride. As the serpent, the devil comes to the church. As the serpent, the devil comes and he whispers all kinds of seductions to the church. Don't listen to Jesus. Don't trust his word. Don't make too big of a deal of his commandments and his promises. Instead, come with me. Listen to me. And time after time, churches fall for it, don't they? Just as Eve listened to the seductions of the serpent in the garden, so even to this day, the church, churches, whole denominations, swallow the lies of the devil and lead their members to destruction. (coughs) The third kind of attack that the devil will use is as the deceiver. He wants to demoralize us, doesn't he? He wants to whisper in our lives all kinds of contrary things against the promises of Jesus. He wants to convince you that Jesus is not really risen, that Jesus is not really ascended, that Jesus' kingdom has not really come, that there is no hope, and you might as well just give up and give in and throw it all away. How often do Christians fall for this? How often do we listen to the demoralizing lies of the devil, that there is nothing worth fighting for, that there is no more hope. Be aware of how the devil will come. And last of all, Revelation shows that he will come with accusations. No longer can he bring his accusations into heaven, but you can be sure that he will whisper them into your conscience and that you will hear them loud and clear. That you will hear all of his accusations. You're not good enough. How could you really think that Jesus would die for you? How could you believe that the forgiveness of sins is for you and for that sin? You know, that one that you keep doing again and again and again? He will come in all of these ways as the dragon, as the serpent, as the devil, as the accuser. And so we pray, don't we? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because if we didn't have heavenly help in this war, who of us could win? Who could resist the dragon? Who could resist the serpent? Who could have any hope against the devil's demoralization campaign? And who could possibly stand against his accusations? But remember, I already told you. I already told you what was the help of the angels, what gave them the power to throw Satan out, is also your help in the warfare. Rejoice, you heavens and those who dwell therein, but woe to those who dwell on earth, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath. And yet there is this promise held out, they have overcome. That they is not just the angels, by the way. It says they have overcome, and that includes Christians. That includes you, and it includes me. For the victory of the angels in heaven is meant to also come down now on earth. Rejoice for the kingdom of God. His salvation, his power, and the authority of his Christ is not locked up in heaven, is it? It has come down into this place. Here we have the blood of the Lamb shed for us and poured out to us. Here we have the word of the testimony that is true and certain. The very word of God spoken in our ears, proclaimed in our midst again and again. Here we have this love awakened in us. This love that is even willing to lose our lives in this world because we know of a better world. We know of a better life. We know of a better love. Heaven is the place where things happen first, a war and a victory, but heaven is not the place where things happen last. Earth is the place where things happen last, and those things that have already taken place in heaven are happening here in your midst. Do you realize that when we gather together for worship, we are taking up our place in this warfare Worship is worship, we should say, right? Not just because we can't pronounce things the right way, but because indeed it truly is. For here in this place, what happened in heaven now is happening in your midst. Here the blood of the lamb silences the accusations of the devil. Here the word of Christ's testimony drowns out all those seductions and all those lies. Here in the church, we find that the world is not just a dark place full of de- demoralizing messages, but here there is hope. It's one of the saddest things, isn't it? When people stop coming to church and all they do is look around at the world and they start to get, um, we call it black-pilled, right? They start to get demoralized. They say there's no hope. And I say, come to my church. Come here and see. There is hope. There is hope. Come here and see that there is a people of God who are preserved in this world. There is a message of hope and salvation that never runs dry. The church renews the world. The church is the source of hope in a dying world. Because here in this place, that heavenly war comes down on earth. Here in this place, we have that blood of the Lamb poured out for us. We have that word of the testimony spoken to us. And we have love in us awakened. Love that not even death can overcome. There was war in heaven. There is war on earth. There was victory in heaven. And there is victory now on earth. And in the end, that victory will be filling this world. Because the authority of the Christ that was enforced in heaven is now being published here on earth. So pray. And when you pray, say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And remember, that includes the possibility, the probability, the certainty of warfare. But it also includes the certainty of Christ's victory. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. We are going to win. To him be the glory, now and forever. Amen.